Good morning. Uh, thankful for the veterans. Thank you. Uh, I was appreciated that Jared prayed uh, for the people that were uh, the families of those that were shot, in some cases killed, 13 I believe was the final count. Our own Ruthie Nadler was in that building. And uh, I'm also glad that he prayed for the fires that are raging in the south and in the north. Our, our own pastor and his wife, Larry Shelton and Faith, lost their home, burned completely to the ground. It, uh, I'm not trying to capitalize, but sometimes God gives us things that kind of touch close to home or because it touches our neighbor closer than it does us, then it touches us closer than it would have in any other way. And so God speaks in these situations and we hear it in a new way, maybe a more profound way. Even that song that we just sang uh, was poignant and powerful as I thought about those who have been touched by these things that were just now, you know, 100 years since the armistice, all the lives that have been lost. And of course, they're layered with every action and war that has taken place since then. We think of the loss of life. We think of the loss of, of treasure. Um, the loss of precious people. And it's important, especially today, as we think of first fruits and what is of true value. And that's what Jesus speaks to in our timely truth. <laughs> it is a timely truth. It is a sobering Sobering saying, maybe more so, uh, because these things sit on our hearts. Our sobering saying today is from Luke chapter 12, verse 15. Last week I mentioned two rich men, Bill Gates. Uh, my numbers were a little old. He's good for 97 billion. And Warren Buffett, $88.3 billion. But as of this year, Amazon founder Jeff Bezos, $160 billion. I, I can't quite fathom that. I tried to help us last week by reminding you that as a young man, my dad got us the uh, Book of Knowledge Encyclopedia, and I looked up a billion for a class assignment, and in the encyclopedia to help uh, any of us, I believe, but certainly me as a young man, <laughs> as it turns out, to conceive a billion. Uh, it described a billion as a laying 
$1 bills, a billion $1 bills end to end, and at the equator, the circumference of the earth, it would extend three and a half times around the waist of the world. Now multiply that 160 billion. Wow, we could truly walk on money. But think about this. Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, Jeff Bezos only combined their vast wealth combined would match that of John D. Rockefeller who founded Standard Oil and had a near monopoly on the market. And if you made the appropriate adjustments for wealth back in the turn of the 19th to 20th century when he thrived, well, John D. Rockefeller remains the first billionaire and the richest and wealthiest American ever, and certainly the wealthiest man of modern history. Rockefeller said, just think about this, Rockefeller said, if your only goal is to become rich, you'll never achieve it. And when a reporter asked him how much money is enough, Rockefeller replied, just a little more. Now, I ask you, because this is what has occupied my mind and heart, why is it the goal to become rich is never achieved? And why is it enough requires just a little more? It's because of a human disorder called avarice, called greed, called covetousness, an appetite for more than our fair share, an insatiable appetite. Our English words avarice, greed, and covetousness are used to translate a word at the center of today's sobering saying of Jesus in Luke chapter 12, verse 15. Pleonexia. Pleonexia is translated in the different Bible translations by avarice, by covetousness, by greed. It's a very strong word in the Greek language in both the New Testament and in Greek literature in general. The human disorder is, I've got to have more. I can't get enough. That's the seed, the root, the start of avarice covetousness, and greed. 
Let's read Luke chapter 18. Uh, pardon me. Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 15. Someone in the crowd here, Jesus is speaking. A crowd is about him, listening. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Or tell my brother, I need you to judge between the two of us and tell my brother to divide the inheritance. Jesus replied, Man, Who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Or some of you are reading covetousness. And maybe some of you are reading avarice right now. A man's life, a woman's life, a child's life does not consist in the abundance of of his or her possessions. G.K. Chesterton, a man who greatly influenced C.S. Lewis. G.K. Chesterton wrote, there are two ways to get enough. One is to continue to accumulate more and more. The other is to to desire less. There's two ways to get enough. To accumulate more and more, the other is to desire less. How much is enough? First fruits is a time that we are thankful for God's blessings. Generally, when we think of God's blessings, and I would say this is especially the case in the American church, I've found it in my own life. Generally, when we think of God's blessings, we think of material blessings. And when we think of blessings, I mean, how do we know it's a blessing? Well, we think in increments of more. When I was a kid, every Sunday after we received the tithes and offerings, we sang the wonderful hymn, Praise God from Whom All Blessings Flow. It's a beautiful, beautiful song. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. I'm glad some of you remember it. (laughs) But when we think of blessing in terms of increments of more, The question that comes to mind and is raised by this passage is, does God smile on what we do with it? 
We see it as him smiling upon us. But do we smile? Does he smile on what we do with what he gives to us? Jesus said, look out. That's really the, watch out. Guard yourself. And this isn't guarding yourself against somebody else's greed. This is guarding, this, John, watch out. Guard your heart against greed, against avarice, against covetousness. That's the nature of his warning. Guard yourself against every form and all types of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of stuff. And now you see, you see the connection. All these tragedies around the world that touch us either because of someone we know or because we've watched the news or we've caught something on our feed through social media or our website. We feel, if we're still human, we feel the suffering. We imagine what it's like to have a tornado rip through our neighborhood and take people from us or destroy everything that we have. Or a tsunami or a flood of some kind, a hurricane, to surge and drown everything that we considered home and dear. Or to have a fire, which, by the way, a fire never knows enough. It consumes all the fuel available, destroying everything in its wake. These are the kinds. An earthquake that shakes everything human to the ground. Stuff as well as life. And this is at the very center of what Jesus is talking about here. Be on the lookout. Guard yourself. Guard your heart against every scintilla, sniff, whiff of greed. The scary thing about greed is this. We can see it in others, but not in ourselves. If we lust, we feel it immediately. If I lust, I feel it immediately. I feel the sinfulness of it. If we hate, we feel it immediately. If I hate, I know it's wrong. I don't have to realize it. I feel it. But greed, it doesn't feel greedy. Greed feels like a need. And the need, that, the need, the label, it's a need 
tricks the heart. It's really a want, not a need. It's an I desire that becomes a I deserve that becomes a I demand that becomes and peaks in a fully developed I'm devoted to getting this. Our society breeds greed. I'm, I am so thankful to have been born in America. But there are liabilities that come with being an American, especially in the spiritual realm. And one of the things that we live with daily is we live in a culture of greed. Not only is it impossible to feel greed, and I don't care where you're born, but how much more in our country, in our culture, when in our, the feeds to our life, Social media, the television, every form of feed is constantly bombarding us with commercials. And what are commercials? They're pleas telling you, you don't have enough. You need more. You're insufficient. You, you aren't up to the speed with everything else, everyone else. It's constantly attacking a sense of deficiency. Deficiency and creating need, which is really want, which is I desire, I deserve, I demand. I'm devoted. We do not go untouched. As our standard of living rises, like the temperature in the pot, and we are the proverbial frogs being slowly cooked alive. But in the kingdom economy, less is more. Less is more. We see this in verses 13, 14. And we see a man deserves. It begins with, I deserve. And then this Desire, Jesus addresses, and the whole issue of devotion. In verses 13 and 14, Jesus is interrupted by a man in the crowd. What compels him? I deserve. 
I just, he feels an injustice. He feels a wrong. Jesus, Jesus, step into this situation and make it right. You be the judge. You be the arbiter. Arbitrate this disagreement between my brother and me. And tell him to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus, wouldn't he make a worthy judge? Wouldn't you want Jesus to arbitrate your life, your disagreements, your injustices? But here's, here's the really striking thing. Jesus, he's not even interested in hearing the case. Now, that should, that should cause us to stop. It should cause us to pause and think. How often? How often is it that we ask Jesus to plead a case for us in our prayers? How often is it that we ask him to intervene and arbitrate on our behalf for the sake of our personal gain? Think about your prayers. Think about how we bring to him our personal cases. And just like the man in the crowd, we step forward in our prayers and we say, Jesus, be the judge here. Fix this. I need you to plead my case. Step up for me, for my personal needs, my personal situation. And how sobering is it to think of him responding with pretty much the same reply. Who made me a judge or arbitrator between you? This is the sobering thing to me in this passage. Jesus is not interested in hearing my small claims compensation cases. And I pause there because some of the most important spiritual growth has come in my life over the years when I first realized Jesus wasn't just my buddy. He wasn't there just when I needed him to appease and appease, you know, to, to kind of plead my case or do whatever I wanted for him. That sometimes he had sharp correcting things to say to me. And I think he has some things to say to us. You see, he's far more interested here that we should hear what he has to say. He's far more interested here that we should hear his warning Watch out. Be on your guard against every form of greed. Not even when you have an abundance does life consist of your possessions. Even when you get more and more and more. And boy, can't we, can't all of us 
No matter where we are, can't we all look back and see a life of growth and accumulation? And quite frankly, Shelley and I, we're talking constantly about downsizing, getting rid of stuff. And by the way, in America, I mean, I've been around a while. Don't start calculating, but just, I've been around a while, and I can remember a time when we didn't have all these mini storage units because we didn't need them. And now they have shows, uh, reality shows, where they go into stuff that has been forgotten or given up or left behind, and they break the locks on those doors and they swing them open and there's all this stuff that mattered so much that they put it into storage and they started paying on it until they couldn't afford it anymore and then now you and I if we watch the reality show we can watch them open the doors and see what was once precious but now is meaningless. And yet, what caused a person to accumulate all that? Greed. That's the insidious nature of greed. At the moment, I've got to have it. Because what I have is not enough. What I have is not enough. That's the focus of greed. And that attitude, what if, what if God was in the picture at that moment? What, what I have is not enough. You, Lord, are not enough. Those are the elements of greed. That's the battlefield. Now, when we hear the words of Jesus, I mean, we affirm his words. Wow, wise words, Jesus. But we're thinking about somebody else who could use a copy of his sermon. He couldn't be more emphatic here. And that's why he tells a parable in verses 16 through 21. Let me read it to you. He told them this parable, the ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I, you know, I've got, had this bounty harvest. What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich toward God. Nobody can steal from you or from me the wealth that is rich in God. No loss. 
This man, you have to see this. Narrative time has to be expanded in this story. How long did it take him to tear down and to build up, to make plans about how he was going to manage his life in the light of all this abundance? These were material blessings. He took them as tokens of God's favor. God has smiled on me. And what did he do? What did he do? He set about to live his life for himself. And now he's right on the cusp of enjoying retirement. And the, the plug is pulled. And what's the verdict on his life? I, I, I doubt in his society, and you can parallel it with our own, as he went through the motions of taking his wealth and multiplying it entrepreneurially, making his plans, I doubt anybody came to him and said, you fool. I'm sure they said, a boy. Man, look at you. And retirement is, is here now, and he's ready to enjoy it. And he's expecting a party, a golden handshake. How do you do? And what he gets is an audience with God. And the verdict on his life, it, it kind of makes me shiver. Fool. Fool. We live in a society, upgrade, upscale, upmarket, upwardly mobile. I'll never forget when I got a flip phone. I got a contract that was just the lowest possible contract. And when that contract expired, I wanted to keep my contract, but they're always tugging at you. I kept that contract up until a year ago. And then they finally said that lifetime contract had expired <laughs> because they weren't getting enough out of me. But what do we do when our phone contract expires? We upgrade. We get a new phone, more features, more abilities. What happens when the car is just you know, it's too, too old. It's just not running the same way. You've got to get rid of that 2017. Get a 2019. We upgrade. Upgrade. Upscale. We move out of the old neighborhood. And what kind of neighborhood do we move into? We're no different than the rich man. And I include myself here. I see this in me. And so it is. 
This story was triggered by a man who interrupted Jesus' teaching and said, arbitrate, judge between me and my brother. Judge this dispute. Jesus was asked to be the judge in a small claims court, but the story ends with a much bigger court. Judgment in a far more important verdict. The verdict should shape our lives. How will we see Jesus then? The judge of a small claims court? Is that the kind of Jesus that we're talking about? Is that the Jesus that we follow? That he should be the arbitrator in our small claims, our everyday life? He comes in, and because he's our advocate, he arbitrates for us to our advantage? Or do we see Jesus as a much bigger judge in a much bigger court? How will we see God, an endless dispenser of financial blessings, or the one who holds our life in his hands? How will we see our life An upscaling journey to ease and safety or the opportunity to pursue another kind of riches, riches toward God. Less is more in the economy of God. It's not a calculation, it's a realization. It's an insight into true value. It's the work of the Spirit and the cross-shaped life of Jesus remaking us in his image. He who, by the way, spent his life not acquiring and upscaling until he was put on a cross. The way of the world is contrary to God's way. In God's world, in his kingdom, the way up is down. In his kingdom, the last is first. In his kingdom, the weak are strong. In his kingdom, less is more. Less debt, less maintenance, less worry, and more to invest. And I could go on and multiply Look, this, is, this may seem like a secret that I'm sharing with you. And it seems counterintuitive to our culture. The fact of the matter of, of it is, it is counterintuitive. The way to happiness, the way to joy, the way to true values, the, the way to the most in this world and in the next is by following Christ not as a small claims compensation advocate, but as our advocate before God in a much greater court. And we'll know things of great value in this life and the next. One last thing. I changed my diet. You might have noticed. Now I I have an occasional sweet Last night was uh, my granddaughter's, little Naomi's, first birthday. And we had an ice cream cake. And on that cake, 
were some Oreos. I happen to love Oreos. In fact, I, I, I'm sorry, I hate to admit this, but there were times in the past where I could go through pretty much a whole package of Oreos. But last night, I had four Oreos for the first time in probably a year and a half. And I want you to know, they were so good. (laughs) It reminds me of what a philosopher that lived before Jesus said. You might want to write this down. He who needs riches least enjoys riches most. I enjoyed those Oreos because I need riches least. But on those rare occasions where I am experiencing and enjoying riches, I enjoy them most. Like I shared last week with my friend who bought a 40-foot yacht and took me out on the bay, but I don't have to deal with the gas or the maintenance. And you know what? If I didn't get a trip on the bay, I could live without that. Less is more. Greed enslaves us. Gratitude frees us. Greed enslaves us as to how little we have. You never have enough. That's the nature of greed. But gratitude frees us to how much we have. Do you realize the more grateful I've become in life, and it's all because of Jesus, I find myself... I'm, I. I find myself saying how rich I am. And Lord, why have you so blessed me? That's the work of gratitude. I don't see less. I see more. But greed is just the opposite. When greed gets a hold, you never have enough. And you become enslaved to what you don't have. I would encourage you to start counting your blessings, giving praise to God for all that you have, and then you'll see yourself as wealthy. And you know what will well up within you? A generosity. The very grace of God. And you will value and appreciate his grace more fully. It'll make your lips quiver to think of how God is so good and so gracious, and you want to just be like him. Will you stand with me? Let me pray for us. This morning, if you don't know Jesus Christ, if you don't know God and his grace, it's Jesus that will reveal that. His love, the depths of his love shown on the cross, and the future and the great hope that God offers us in Christ because of the resurrection a daily walk empowered by his Holy Spirit. And we cry and we weep with the rest of the world and those who suffer. But we never lose our joy. In fact, we are sources of encouragement. We can't rectify what happens to others just like we can't rectify what happens to us. But we can surge above it 
through the power of God in our lives to be joyful and encouraging and constructive and a source of hope in the midst of the greatest sadness and despair. That's, that's hope. That's the work of God. That's the power he can be and you can have in your life through him by faith. This morning, if you need to pray about that, if you need to pray to receive Jesus Christ, to intercede, we invite you to come. I'll be up here, all of our leadership and their spouses, we pray you'll come. And let's pray for people in need. And let's be the answer to other people's need in the power of Christ. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your sobering sayings that open our eyes to a reality that is really beyond this world. To live for something that's so much bigger, so much more beautiful, so much more noble and grand. We can't live any better than that. May we be rich in you where we find that less here is more. We praise you in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, God bless you.